0: be Monday and welcome to not boring and happy Valentine's day to those who celebrate. I hope the rest of you are enjoying eat Denver, but in either case, this isn't a day for sitting alone and reading a long newsletter. It's a day for relationships. So I'm going to keep it short, keep it relationship focused. And if you really want to read more words, recommend two mind bending books. Sometimes my job here is just to be willing to get weird in case it shakes something useful, loose for you. Before we get weird, though, let's get beautiful with a word from our presenting sponsor of all of Q1's audio versions, Masterworks. Well, it's Valentine's Day. And while you should do something special for your significant other, hint, hint, make sure to show some love to your portfolio, too. Give it an extraordinary investment this year and let it know how much you care. As for me, I'll be giving my not boring portfolio more blue chip art for Valentine's Day. Pooja might get some, too. I already have 11 paintings in my portfolio, but hey, the more the merrier. After all, art can be absolutely breathtaking, and it can also be a great investment. Let me break it down. Blue-chip art prices have appreciated by 13.6% annually, with little correlation to stocks from 1995 to 2021. Solid appreciation and less volatility than the stock market? Hard eyes emoji. To discover how to invest in art like yours truly, just head to masterworks.io slash not boring today that's masterworks.io slash not boring and you can see important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer now let's get to it web of relations if the strangeness of quantum theory confuses us it also opens new perspectives with which to understand reality a reality that is more subtle than the simplistic materialism of particles in space a reality made up of relations rather than objects. Carlo Ravelli, Helgeland. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been down a new rabbit hole. Carlo Ravelli books. Ravelli is a quantum physicist who also happens to write more clearly and beautifully than most professional writers. He's simultaneously a very, very, very tiny shape rotator and a word chat. He's catapulted up to join Tim Urban in my personal pantheon of inspirations for explaining very complex ideas simply. Lest you think you're in the wrong place, no, Not Boring is not a quantum physics newsletter slash podcast, but it is a newsletter slash podcast about the future. Understanding some of the core ideas in Ravelli's books is useful on three levels. One, understanding the current state of the science. It's at least interesting, if not practically useful to most of our day jobs, to understand where the cutting edge of physics is today. Two, web of relations as a useful model. Quantum theory's main insight, that everything exists as a web of relations, is a helpful framework for many of the ideas that we discuss here. And three, just getting comfortable with the weird. I don't remember a lot of the specifics from the essays I write. I can't expect you to. Instead, I want you to walk away with an informed, open-mindedness and comfort with new technologies and ideas. I'm successful here if you see something new and crazy and think, whoa, fascinating, instead of, yeah, right. One of my favorite ways to get ready for the future is to read sci-fi. I read like 10 times more sci-fi than business books. Sci-fi helps me zoom out, take a wider perspective, and inhabit worlds crafted with authors' best extrapolations. Sometimes, though, sci-fact is even more be- mind-bending than sci-fi. That's the world in which Carlo Rovelli researches and writes. So today, we'll cover two of his recent books, The Order of Time and Helgoland. But let's make a deal. I'll promise to keep this shorter if you promise to read two of the books yourself or since you're a listener. Benedict Cumberbatch himself narr- narrates the audiobook version of The Order of Time. Each of these takes less than a weekend to read, and each guides you skillfully and comfortably to some deeply counterintuitive truths about the universe. Like the fact that time doesn't exist. The Order of Time. I started my revelry journey with this 2018 hit, The Order of Time. Rob Solomon, now the co-founder of DEMO, recommended that I read it over two years ago. I finally listened. I'd say that I should have listened a long time ago, but time isn't real. Rivelli demolishes time as we know it and then builds it back up in three parts. One, the crumbling of time. Rivelli walks through the history and physics of time and arrives at a strange conclusion. Everything we think we know about time is false. There is no time. Two, the world without time. If time doesn't exist, how do we make sense of this new timeless world? Instead of linear time, Rivelli offers in its place a net of interconnected events where the variables in play adhere to probabilistic rules. Instead of time and objects, there are only events and relations. In the third section, the sources of time. Okay, okay, cool. But evolution occurs. Erosion reshapes landscapes. We experience time. We have memories of the past. We can't remember the future. Where does the sense of time's flow come from if time isn't real? Ravelli offers up some explanations here based on the best thinking today. Ultimately, what we experience this time is a multi-layered, complex concept with multiple distinct properties deriving from various different approximations. This is trippy stuff. Whenever I fly, I drink a cranberry vodka. I'm not sure why. I don't drink cranberry vodka on the ground, but somehow it's become my plane drink. So earlier this month, I found myself one and a half cranberry vodkas deep on a flight sitting aisle with Pooja by the window and Dev asleep in his car seat between us, and I was absolutely giddy. At the risk of waking the baby and ruining the flight, for us and everyone around us, I kept passing my iPad over to Pooja, watching her reaction expectantly, as she read just-highlighted sections I pointed at, like this one. Dear reader, pause for a moment to let this conclusion sink in. In my opinion, it is the most astounding conclusion arrived at in the whole of contemporary physics. It simply makes no sense to ask which moment in the life of your sister on Proxima B, a planet far, far away, corresponds to now. The notion of the present refers to things that are close to us, not anything that is far away. Our present does not extend throughout the universe. It is like a bubble around us. The idea that a well-defined now exists throughout the universe is an illusion, an illegitimate extrapolation of our own experience. The present of the universe is meaningless. End quote. So there is no universal now there's not a moment that's the same on a faraway planet as the one you're experiencing right now. Not, like, as measured on a clock, just at all. I, too, like you might be right now, tried imagining it. And, of course, there's a moment that's happening now. There, even if we can't access it. But, apparently, there's really not. According to Rivelli, asking what's happening on Proxima B now is like me sitting in New York and wondering what's happening in Beijing here. That's just one of the five or six sections that i passed to Pooja, non-stop brain melters. The takeaway? There is no one time. Our experience of time is based on our perspective and relationship with the universe, and on our experience constantly living in the present moment, sandwiched between memory and anticipation. In other words, there is no time independent of us. Patrick O'Shaughnessy captured my thoughts well when he tweeted, This book is really fucking me up. But even when time melts away, fine, all right. I mean, I can't touch time, I can't see time, I can't taste time. If the concept of time falls apart at the quantum level, but I perceive and experience time in exactly the same way I did before reading the book, then fine. Fascinating, trippy, mind-expanding, but ultimately not the end of the world. I'm still sitting in this physical chair, typing on this physical keyboard, feeling jittery from too many physical cups of coffee. That's the real stuff, whether that social construct, time, exists or not, right? Um. Helgoland. Okay, so remember from a couple paragraphs ago how time isn't real and it doesn't exist except in the mind of the person perceiving it? What if I told you that nothing exists except in relation to other things? That's the journey Rivelli takes us on in Helgoland. Helgoland, named after the island on which Werner Heisenberg built the mathematical structure of quantum mechanics, is about, as the subtitle suggests, quote, making sense of the quantum revolution. Quantum theory describes the odd nature and behavior of particles at the atomic and subatomic level. None of its predictions have ever been contradicted by experiments. In its 97-year life, it has become foundational to theory and application. From the book, quantum theory has clarified the foundations of chemistry, the functioning of atoms, of solids, of plasmas, of the color of the sky, the dynamics of stars, the origins of galaxies, a thousand aspects of the world. It is at the basis of the latest technologies, from computers to nuclear power. It has never been wrong. It is the beating heart of today's science. Yet it remains profoundly mysterious and subtly disturbing. The math, apparently, I'm not a mathematician, checks out. How that math translates to what's actually going on, however, is open to interpretation. Many interpretations. The Wikipedia page on interpretations of quantum mechanics lists 15 of them, plus other interpretations. Rivelli addresses a few of the leading interpretations, many worlds, hidden variables, and physical collapses. The one with the wildest implications is many worlds, which, as its name implies, holds that quantum theory describes a reality in which observations create new parallel worlds. For example, in the famous Schrodinger's Cat thought experiment, instead of existing in a probabilistic superposition of dead and alive, which collapses to one path, dead or alive, as soon as the observer opens a box... The many-worlds interpretation suggests that both states are real, and that opening the box branches the world into two, a world in which the observer sees the cat alive and another in which the observer sees the cat dead. Rivelli uses awake and asleep. And it's not just cats in boxes. It's every system. Each interaction with any number of systems creates a parallel universe. Many-worlds predicts infinite universes. Although many physicists subscribe to the many-worlds interpretation, Rivelli doesn't. Instead, Rivelli introduced his own interpretation in 1994, Relational Quantum Mechanics, or RQM. In RQM, the interpretation he uses throughout Helgoland: quote, The properties of an object are the way in which it acts upon other objects. Reality is this web of interactions. Instead of seeing the physical world as a collection of objects with definite properties, quantum theory invites us to see the physical world as a net of relations. Objects are its nodes. Observers aren't just scientists in labs, and observations aren't just scientific measurements. Quantum theory, according to Rivelli, describes how every physical object manifests itself to any other physical object. In one example, Rivelli lays out a thought experiment on, quote, the most enchanted and dreamy of the quantum phenomena, entanglement. It is the phenomenon by which two distant objects maintain a kind of weird connection, as if they continue to speak to each other from afar, end quote. Einstein once described entanglement as, quote, spooky action at a distance. Ravelli comes to an understanding of entanglement that isn't as spooky as two photons communicating instantaneously, faster than the speed of light at great distances. It requires the introduction of a third object. Quote, the correlation manifests itself when the two correlated objects both interact with this third object. But, he writes, it, quote, comes at a cost. No universal set of fact exists. Nothing exists except in its interactions with other things. Everything is a web of relations. According to Rivelli, a single equation, Heisenberg's Uncertainty Principle, or delta x times delta p is greater than or equal to h-bar divided by 2, codes quantum theory. It implies that the world is not continuous, but granular. There is no infinite in going towards the small. Things cannot get infinitely smaller. It tells us the future is not determined by the present, and it tells us that physical things have property in relation to other physical things, and that these properties make sense only when things interact. It's very hard to believe that this is how things work. But quantum theory remains undefeated. It's the best science we have today. It's more likely that this is essentially the way the world works than not. Our intuitions based on lived experience have misled us before. People believed that the Earth was flat until ancient Greek scientists proved that it was round, unless you're Kyrie Irving. People believed that the sun rotated around the earth until Copernicus showed them (laughs) the light. As Ravelli wrote in The Order of Time, that which seems intuitive to us now is the result of scientific and philosophical elaborations in the past. I have no reason not to believe Ravelli when he argues that we're at another one of those moments when our lived experience fails to capture the underlying reality. You shouldn't trust my trust. I highly recommend that you read the books yourself. But for now, let's believe him. Objects only exist in relation to other objects. The world isn't made up of discrete objects, made up of some fundamental matter. It's a network of relations, in which case, whoa. Now, I'm skipping some of the most magical parts of the book here, like the story of the polymath Alexander Bogdanov, the philosophy of the second century Indian Buddhist thinker Nagarjuna that correctly outlined the shape of reality, how the brain makes meaning from relevant relative information, or how our vision functions in the opposite way that we think it does. Again, just go read the book. But for now, I want to briefly discuss using relational quantum theory as a model. The web of relations as a model. And note, in this section, it's really just me thinking aloud, and it's meant to be a jumping-off point. So, in the last chapter of Helgeland, Rivelli writes of quantum theory, I think it is time to take this theory fully on board, for its nature to be discussed beyond the restricted circles of theoretical physicists and philosophers, to deposit its distilled honey, sweet and intoxicating, into the whole of contemporary culture. This is my fumbling attempt to discuss the theory in the context of the small piece of contemporary culture we cover here, technology, business, and markets. To be clear, I'm not arguing that quantum theory governs the market or that because of relational quantum mechanics, Web3 wins. I read a book on quantum physics for dummies, and here's why it means Web3 will beat centralized corporations, would be the most tech-bro thing I could write. But as Rivelli writes, Even if remote from our direct everyday experience, the discovery of the nature of the quantum world is too radical to have no relevance to precisely such big open questions as the nature of the mind. Insert the nature of all the things we discuss here. Not because the mind or other phenomena that we still know little about are quantum phenomena, but because by modifying our conception of the physical world and of matter, the discovery of quanta changes the terms of our questions. Similarly, this understanding that the universe is made up of relations between objects and that objects have no properties independent of other objects is too radical to not change the terms of our questions. I don't have any profound insights. this is meant to be a conversation starter, but I think this is an interesting model. Webs of relations versus static objects. This might be another twist on the difference between complexity and reductionism that we discussed in the Laboratory for Complex Problems. This might be another reason that technical teardowns of new technologies often miss the mark. The object itself is less important than the web of relations it enables. While Nagarjuna intuited the idea that there is no independent existence around 200 CE, it took science nearly two millennia to begin to prove that intuition in theory and experiment. As our tools and technology get better, and as ideas compose and compound, we're able to operate at a resolution that makes it possible to harness intuition. It takes technology and progress to get to the natural state of things. Similarly, I've written in the past that, quote, we're on an inexorable march towards individuals mattering more than institutions. I'd amend that with the web of relations model in mind and say something like, we're moving towards an end state in which the web of relations among individuals will be more powerful than institutions. Or, quote, we're moving from top-down to networked models, from lower entropy to higher entropy. I hesitate to even bring Web3 into the conversation, because while I think the set of tools that we're calling Web3 today are an important piece, the long arc bends towards a web of relations model regardless. The technologies that help bring legibility and usability to those webs will be extremely valuable. Tokenomics will certainly play a role in shaping behaviors, but non-Web3 technologies will play a valuable role too. If in a century or two everyone exists economically as a node in a global network, we're going to need AI to handle a lot for us, for example. More practically today, it's worth deeply understanding that things don't have value independent of other things. The best designed software is worthless without users. The stupidest JPEG is valuable if others believe it is. Memes pull the web of relations in their direction. As Ravelli argues, relations are the atomic unit. He says, relations make up our I, as our society, our cultural, spiritual, and political life. It is for this reason, I think, that everything we have been able to accomplish over the centuries has been achieved in a network of exchanges, collaborating. There are other things to explore here, like the value of reputation in relationships, if objects or businesses, product, funds, etc., are not valuable independent of a network, and if that's becoming increasingly true as everything including our attention and tastes are becoming more fragmented, then it would seem that maintaining a good reputation in one subset of the network is more valuable than ever. Cutting yourself off from the web of relations is death. That's a good check and balance in a system with fewer centralized gatekeepers. It's also maybe interesting to think about yourself as part of the whole. Either the universe, and I've coincidentally been using the Waking Up Meditation app for the past three weeks and it's a great pairing with all of this, or more specifically, your professional web. If the physical world is woven from the subtle interplay of images and mirrors reflected in other mirrors without the metaphysical foundation of material substance Revelli suggests, perhaps it becomes easier to recognize ourselves as part of that whole. I'm sure you'll think of hundreds more interpretations and extensions of this model, or you might ask me if I wrote this while hanging out with Snoop at a Super Bowl after party. But I promise to be brief and I'm starting to break that promise, so let's move on. Getting comfortable with the weird. The last point I want to make is that, at a very fundamental level, things are really fucking weird. Objects don't have independent properties, despite all appearances to the contrary. There's no such thing as time outside of our experience of it. Now, Rivelli builds time back up in the order of time, and he fits meaning into his relational model in the world of Helgoland. The discovery of quantum physics need not change our day-to-day lives at all. We can't notice quantum properties. At our scale, Rivelli writes, the world is like a wave-agitated surface of the ocean seen from the moon the smooth surface of a blue marble. You can take the blue pill and go back to your normal life right now. But thinking about all this should give us an excuse to pause and take the red pill, at least for a few minutes. Ravelli quotes Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, who said, The fact that we live at the bottom of a deep gravity well, on the surface of a gas-covered planet, going around a nuclear fireball 90 million miles away, and think this to be normal? Is obviously some indication of how skewed our perspective tends to be. To me, understanding how much weirder the world really is than it seems, and how much different it works than even our best scientists like Einstein thought it worked a century ago, is an exhortation to embrace new weird ideas and explore them with curiosity. Ravelli has a series of lines in Helgoland, specifically in the Naturalism Without Substance Contextuality section, on the anti metaphysical spirit inspired by Ernst Mach, which he seems to have adopted as his own approach. 1. The anti-metaphysical spirit that Mach promoted is an attitude of openness. We should not seek to teach the world how it should be. Let's listen to the world instead in order to learn from it how to think about it. 2. Our prejudices concerning how reality is made are just the result of our experience. Our experience is limited. We cannot take as gospel truth generalizations that we have made in the past. 3. We must take seriously new things we learn about the world even if they clash with our preconceptions about how reality is constituted. Four, the best way to learn is to interact with the world while seeking to understand it, readjusting our mental schemes that we encounter and find. And five, I believe that we need to adapt our philosophy to our science and not our science to our philosophy. Ravelli is speaking to scientists, specifically those who have a hard time accepting relational quantum mechanics because it seems off. But I think they're much more broadly applicable. If you forget every word you read and not boring, but print those out and put them on your wall, I'll have done my job. In a century, quantum physics might be replaced by science that's even better at describing the world, and all of the cutting-edge technologies that we talk about here will certainly be very old news. I'd bet all of my money, though, that what will still be valuable in that world is the ability to learn new things and take them seriously, and of course, the ability to operate as an ephemeral node in a web of relations. So that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. You can check out the original post at notboring.co. That's notboring.co. And if you like it, share it. If you like this podcast, rate it and share it. Thanks for listening and I will see you next Monday. Have a great week.